We want to pray this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your amazing presence. We thank you that even as we called on you to manifest yourself, your presence is here. And we are so honored and grateful. We know in the midst of this glorious presence, you will speak to us. Our prayer this morning is that open our hearts to receive your word. You don't speak in vain. Anytime you speak, things happen. I pray that every single person here will experience that thing as your word comes. Let it break bondages. Let it set people free. Let it bring liberation. Let it bring restoration. Let it bring joy into the hearts of your children. Let it bring redemption from anything the enemy has placed on your people. We call it done in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have your Bibles here? Oh, do you have your Bibles here? Can you lift it up this morning? Lift up your Bible. I want to see your Bibles. Lift it up. And say, this is my Bible. This is my Bible. It is the Word of God. I will become what it says I can become. I will go where it says I can go. Yes, I will achieve what it says I can achieve. Now confidently slap your chest and say, I am a believer. Amen. This morning we continue in our month of love. And we are also pursuing aggressively. And this morning I'm speaking to you on the love and the law. Love and the law. It's our month of love. This morning I want to do a little exposition on the law and love. Love and law. And I think as a new dispensation, Christians, we almost come to think that the law is gone. It belongs to the Old Testament days. And, and we boldly say that we are in a period of grace. We are in a period of favor. We are in a period of love. But, but I want to change your theology a bit this morning and share with you some revelation on the law and love. And I believe by the time I am done, you will understand that you need both to survive, not just in this life, but to make it into the afterlife. You can't do one without the other. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 17. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy or to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy or to abolish but to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law. Do not think that I have come in this dispensation of grace to abolish the law as was given by God at Mount Sinai. I haven't come to abolish the law. I have come only to fulfill the law. Now go with me to Romans 13, 8 to 10. Romans 13, and I'm reading from verses 8 to 10. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. I'll take that again. Owe no man 
no man anything except love. For he that loves has fulfilled the law. For this, and he quotes the law, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And I'll take 10 again. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Remember, Jesus has said, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill the law. And now Paul is saying that love is the fulfillment of the law. Finally, go with me to James 2. James 2. James was the brother of Jesus and he became the leader of the early church in the Acts of the Apostles. And he wrote, James 2, and I'm reading verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. Or in this day I will say, you do all. Amen. This morning I'm sharing with you love and the law. But when two people fall in love, they don't do a written agreement or they don't agree in writing or anything like that, that they are going to abide by any laws per se. But there are written codes and unwritten laws that both of them commit to abide by, especially if it's a marriage arrangement. Okay? You don't sit down and sign a prenuptial agreement usually but you lay down certain unwritten codes and both of you decide willingly of your own free will to abide by the codes that you have i'll give you an example when you get married you fall in love automatically you are saying that it's you and nobody else automatically you are implying that i would make you happy i don't want to hurt you you are saying that you, you are special to me it's not written, but both of you know that these are the laws that you will abide by. There are certain times that you will compromise for each other. There are certain things you used to like. Maybe you were an extrovert. You used to go to the nightclub and you used to have fun. And then you, you fall in love. And like somebody would say, when you, that tingly feeling you feel in your heart when you fall in love, it's common sense leaving your brain. Once the common sense has left, you decide that because my partner doesn't want me going out at night, I, I forfeit that, okay? I would have loved to go, but my partner is not that type. He wants to stay indoors and watch a movie. And because I'm in love, I want to sit by him and watch that movie. That will make him happy, okay? So you, you, you both decide to work with this unwritten code. And, and you would notice any time one person decides to break the code, or the laws, there are problems. Okay? If you are like Kofi and you become rebellious and you start misbehaving, then automatically you are saying that I don't want to abide by those laws. And the marriage breaks down. Okay? This is exactly what happened at Mount Sinai. When God gave Moses the law, 
And I'll give you a, a foundation to this and explain why I am saying that. When God created the earth, when he finished on the seventh day, he finished. How many of you know that? God is, he finished with everything. Everything in creation was done. He was done. I mean, there was no way God was going to, God doesn't create anything again. Everything he created, he knew we needed in this life, he made available. So he created the sun, the moon, the stars. He made vegetation, the fish, the, the, the animals in the sea. He, he, called, he did everything. He created man. He made provision for the existence of man. He did everything. Creation is done. Okay, when you are praying to God for something, it's already there. All you are asking is that God makes that thing available to you. Right or wrong? And, and, and our God is amazing. You know what he did. In addition to creating the item, he, he, he created a system and structure for that thing to recreate itself. So God created the apple tree. But he knew he didn't want to create an apple tree again. So he put a seed in the apple. So when you eat the apple and you plant the seed, you get an apple tree. He created man. He said, I, I don't want to go through the process of taking mud. And so, so he said, I'll put a sperm and I'll put an egg. And as long as they come together, another human being is created. And God was so structured and he had systems in place and he had principles. And therefore he said that as long as you abide by the systems and the protocols that I set, then life is restored and life goes on. So when you take that apple fruit and you eat it and you decide that you chew the seed, you have killed the generation. I hope you get me. And those are principles and systems that don't change. So, everything that God created works by systems and principles. That is why when he said, if you want to do well, give. And it shall be given to you. And as long as you give, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, you will prosper. That's how the world works. That is the, the principles and the structures and the systems that God sets in place. That is why if you are a believer and you decide that you won't give, but you will fast seven days dry and pray and hope that you become rich, you are lying to yourself. That is why if you are a believer and you say that I won't take care of this body. This body needs only a certain amount of food, but I will load it more than I need. Then what you are doing is that you are killing that body. And that is why pastors, for example, will get a stroke. or they will, Otherwise, they pray the most. But the principles and the systems and the structures of our God, they never change. They are abiding forever. Okay, that is the, 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 the premise I'm giving you. And, and this premise informs how the world was supposed to work. And this premise informs how the relationship between man and God was supposed to work. I hope you are following me. So at Mount Sinai, God only came to man to say to him that already I have set structures in place. I am not recreating anything. I am a God who doesn't change. I don't change my mind. Whatever is my principle, when you kill, you will die by the sword. 
when you commit adultery, you are creating a system, you are, you are snow, a snowball effect of adultery will happen in your family. That is my principle, that is my structure. So at Mount Sinai, if you want to have a relationship with me, a marriage union with me, then, then I am just giving you a sneak peek into the principles that I have set. So that as long as you follow those principles that we call the law, you will do well. So God is effectively saying, I'm in love with you. I want to marry you. I want to be with you forever. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people set apart. You are after my own heart. But, but in order for us to live, because I can't change my principles. I am God who abides. I can do nothing about that. So if you want this to work, all I am saying is that do not love any other one besides me. All I am saying is that do not steal, do not kill. All I am telling you is that do not covet your neighbor's property. I am saying that do not serve other gods. As long as you abide by all these things, then our union will be beautiful. Then all things will abound to you. That you will have eternal life. And so on and so forth. But, but, there was a challenge. In fact, I think there are three things that confronted this situation. And that is why the law was deficient. And the law could not be fulfilled until Jesus came. I hope you are still following me. Three things are these. This was a union of unequals. God on one side. Man on one side. This God is a God of love. So everything he was saying to them, he was saying to them out of love. And then there was man. Whose whole idea of life was selfishness. This was man who had fallen in the garden of Eden. Pride had taken over. All this man was thinking about was himself. Okay, so God gave the law out of love. But it was received by a selfish man. So what man was saying is that I will only obey the law for as long as it serves my interest. So you would see the children of Israel. If they wanted something from God, they would stop serving their vows. They would, they would forfeit everything and serve God. And once they began to serve God, things were normalized in their lives. As long as things were normalized and they were living well, they go right back to sin. Until somebody attacks them and they are under, under stress and the enemy is suppressing them. Then they realize that mm, there was this God that we know about. We have a relationship with him. He is almighty. All we can do is go back and show him some love. And when we show him some love, he will come to our aid and help us. And so they, they will quickly put aside the foreign gods. They will come back to God. They will worship him. And all through the period of the judges, we see this happening. So they will go into apostasy. God will lift up a prophet. They will come back out of here. It was selfishness on the part of man. And I am, I am, I am sad to say that as believers in this day and age, they are behaving like the Israelites of old. Some of us only come to God when we need something. Some of us only commit to the work of God when we are struggling. Oh, I need a financial breakthrough. So this is the time to go to church, to love God, to do everything. As long as that breakthrough comes and I have some respite, oh church, you wait. Until the doctor tells me I have cancer. 
And I realized that there's no medication that can save. Then all of a sudden I remember that I have this God who is the healer. Then you come back running to the altar and say, Lord, I forfeit all my sins. Can you heal me of cancer? But, but I believe that after today, that will not be our story. The second challenge that confronted this union was the fact that God had already set principles in place. As I told you in the introduction, it wasn't changeable. God cannot change his mind. His love, he loves you, he cares for you. But, but when you go and you commit adultery and, 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 and your, your husband catches you, the, the law was that you, you will suffer the consequences of that action. So you may be stoned and you die. Those were the principles. If you were not stoned, you probably would in this day contract some HIV or have sex. And those are the laws. And as much as he loves you, he cannot change the principles. He cannot change the law. And that was the problem. Man, by our nature, we are fallible. We are so frail. And that created a problem. And I am sure sometimes God is sitting there. And he so much wants to change the rules. In our favor. Because he knows that I love you. The way that you are going, you are going to go into a problem. Because the rules I have set is that as long as you go on this path and you, you malign your brother, whatever you do, it will get back to you, press down, shaking together, running over. He knows that when you judge your brother, you will get judgment times 10. But So when you begin to judge your brother, I'm sure he's grieving in his heart. And he's wishing that I can change the laws so that the laws won't apply. But that doesn't work. The principles are the principles. So even though he has said to the children of Israel, I am going to give you the promised land. I am taking you out of slavery. I will take you there. The children of Israel came out in the wilderness and they started to murmur after they, they made a golden cow. They, they, they did all sorts of and, and the God whose principles cannot change. They ended up all dying. All three million of them. He has promised them the promised land. That was his wish. But what made it difficult was that once they had gone out of the transaction, God couldn't do anything about it. That was the challenge for him. The third challenge I identify in this union is that man failed to understand the basis of the law. And by this I mean that for man, he has come to see God as a deity who doesn't forgive. Okay, people, some people will rebel against Moses and the earth will open up and swallow 70,000 of them. Sharp, no questions. None at all. So, the basis of the law for the children of Israel was fear. Anytime they were striving to obey the law, they were striving because they were afraid. They were afraid that if they didn't obey this God, He was going to kill them. 
He was going to give them into the hands of their enemies. He was going to cause hunger to hit them. He was going to do something awful. And, and so I am told that the, the Jewish people, the 12 laws that was given to Moses, they had broken it down into about 623 sub-laws. So when the Lord says, thou shalt do no work on the Sabbath, they were so afraid of this God that in order to avoid getting into trouble, they had broken down this law and said, what, is, what does it mean to work? on the Sabbath. Okay, if you walk more than seven miles, that is breaking the law on the Sabbath. If you live, your, your, your animal is drowning and you take it out, you have broken the Sabbath law. If you are hungry and you go into the field and you take some grain and you rub it in your hand and you eat, you have broken the Sabbath law. I mean, this was set so deep that for them, as long as you were able to go by the 623 laws, you will be okay. How was this possible? You and I sitting here. How is it possible? And, and, and interestingly, you know that when you break one law, we take it that you are breaking all the laws. So if you are sitting here and you, you feel self-righteous, and as, can you wake him up for me? And you feel self-righteous and say that, as for me, I don't fornicate. Oh, as for me, I don't steal. As for me, I, I, I come to church all the time. But you are lying. You and the adulterer, you are same. You and the murderer. Serious. This was the challenge. This was difficult. Then God thought of a plan. He said, I have weighed these difficulties. I can't change my mind about my principles. I did this out of love, but these people are selfish. These people don't understand what it means to love and obey me out of love. So I would send an example. I would ask my only begotten son to go into the world and not just to teach them the law, but to fulfill the law. To fulfill the law means that he was going to answer and give a remedy for these three challenges that I have outlined to you this morning. He said these people are selfish. They don't understand what it means to give freely. So you know what? I am not withholding my son. I am asking my son to go and not just go, but to die on the cross for their sins so that they will understand that to attain this level of relationship with me, they need to be selfless. So Jesus will say if any man will come after me let him deny himself first let him take up the cross and let him follow me. He was saying that God didn't withhold me from you he gave me out of love for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes will have everlasting life he did this out of a selfless desire to see that the union works. So he's saying that instead of just telling you to be selfless. I am giving you an example of selflessness. Greater love has no man than the one who laid down his life for his friends. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ came. How else could he fulfill this law of teaching us that our relationship with him should be one of selflessness? This morning, the first thing I need you to take out of the sermon is that to have 
an intimate union with God is an act of selflessness. First, put yourself aside. Kill yourself. Decide that for this union with God to work, I need to be selfless. And he fulfilled the law by not withholding his son. He left his crown, his throne, everything that accrued to him as the son of God in heaven. He came down onto this earth. This earth rejected him. They beat him up. They put a, a, a stone, a crown on his head. They, they, they maligned him. They put him on the cross. The worst kind of death ever. They harassed him. They maltreated him. But he said, you know what? This is to teach you that if I did not withhold my son from you. Why would I withhold anything else from you? So in also coming into this union, I have given you an example. And that example is that you need to put yourself aside. This morning, if you are a child of God and yourself is alive, you can't experience the love of God. Yourself is alive means that everything that you are doing, it has to be about you. So, Madam Churchgoer, if the time for coming to church doesn't suit you, then I'm not coming. If, 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 if I look at my work, and if I put my work aside for seven days, and, and, and I will lose my customers, and, and my business will, will, will falter. So, as for these seven days, Munyawai, yourself is alive. If it's all about you, if, if 80% of your prayer is about you, you are self-filled. Okay, you added a fish for me. Self-fish. We are fish, but of self. So I leave that to your judgment. All the prayers you are praying is about I, me and my family. Lord, help me. Lord, give me a house. Lord, give me a... Just like, there's not even a day that you say, let me pray for my neighbor. Let me pray for souls. Let me work for souls. Let me put my work aside and do God's work. There's no day that you say, my brother is hungry. So even though I have a little, let me share with my brother. It's all about you. Self is alive. But if any man will come after me, let him deny himself first. There is no crown without death. First you die. And then you get seated with Christ in heavenly places. And you can reign with him in heavenly places. So if you are not dead to self, if you are dead to self, there's nothing like I can't forgive. You are dead. If you are in the mortuary right now, do you feel anything? Dead goat syndrome, that is what we call it. You are dead. So somebody steps on your toe today and you let it go. You are dead. You don't feel anything. So if you are here and you are holding on to things, somebody offended me, somebody doesn't, yourself is alive. Selfishness. He fulfilled the law by coming to give us an example of selflessness. The second thing he came to do, I spoke to you and said that because of his principles, he can't change them. He's God. I mean, it's already that. Can you imagine if God keeps changing the goalposts? And then he says adultery is like the world is doing. Oh, adultery is bad. Okay, but if your husband is cheating, you can also cheat 
and that's one. It will be one one draw. So it's it's fine. You can be forgiven. Divorce is not permissible. Oh, but but if your husband is is beating you, then then you can take your things and leave the house and divorce him. The goalpost keeps shifting. Today, something that is good in the world is bad tomorrow. To, tomorrow, something that was bad becomes okay, and it is. But but God is immutable. He doesn't change. To remedy this law and this situation, he said, I will put my son there and substitute the punishment that would have gone to you to my son. The, the mystery and the miracle of our faith is that there is now somebody who has not just become our lawyer. But the person has also become the one that takes the punishment that the law prescribes. I'll give you an example. Maybe you killed somebody and you go to court and your lawyer goes to defend you. And the judge says, we have found you guilty. And the punishment for that is that you have life imprisonment. What, will your lawyer say, your lawyer will say, oh, my Lord, can we mitigate the sentence a bit? The judge says, no, it can't be mitigated. You have to save life. Oh, my Lord. Okay, my Lord, thank you. They bow and they wave you goodbye. And you go to jail. But, but, but Jesus, what he does as our advocate is that when the accuser of the brethren comes to the judge of all men and says that your daughter, your son, has done A, B, C, D, and the judge and the Lord of our lives were supposed to say, the punishment for that was that you were going to die. Then this lawyer says that, don't worry. Oh, I, he is guilty, I agree. But, but I am ready to take the punishment of death on myself. So they solve the problem of the lack of God to break protocol and principle. So now it was possible for man to fall. But as long as they came to God and said, I am sorry, Jesus washed me with your blood. Then that sin was taken away and it was laid on him at the cross of Calvary. So when he died and said that it is finished, what he was saying was that from now going forward, anything that was supposed to come to you as punishment, I take it on myself. I take that sin, I take that shame, I take that disgrace. That is why the enemy has got nothing on you. Because even if you did wrong in the past, you now have the blood of Jesus. And you can come boldly to the throne of grace. And you can say that Lord have mercy. And the mercy seat will speak for you. And Jesus himself will take your sin. And you are free. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let the devil make you feel guilty. Don't let the devil cause you to think that what you have done, it is not pardonable. Oh, don't let the enemy deceive you to think that as for you, you don't have a right to come into the throne of grace. I know that on the day that he died, the curtains in the temple were torn in two. And the grace, the mercy seat became available to you and to me. You don't need your pastor to go to God. You don't need any man of God to intercede. I am telling you here and now that the blood is available for you. And now anytime you need that mercy, anytime you 
need the goodness of God. All you do is that you come to him and say, Lord, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy. Wash me with your blood. Restore my life. Get me back on track. Oh, and the beautiful thing is that God honors that death and he restores you. That is why Jesus confidently said, I haven't come to abolish the law, but I have come to fulfill it. I have come to make it possible for you to live under the law and for the law to work and for the union with God to work. The third problem coming to the end of the sermon, the third challenge I identified was that the basis of the law for the children of Israel was fear. Fear. If we don't do this, God will punish us. So we strive to do well. That is the bondage of the law. But Jesus came with a new law. And he said to us, that change your dynamics. Change your mind. Change your paradigm. Now turn it around and the basis of the law becomes love. Because the God who gave you the law is a God of love. So he didn't give you the law to bind you and to make you helpless. But he gave you the law so that you can come to him for him to love you. Also, I am telling you that they said, do not kill. Oh, but I have come to even extend it and say, do not get angry with your brother. Because when you love your brother as yourself, you don't get angry with yourself. Oh, I have come to tell you this morning that the basis of the law has changed. You don't serve God because you fear going to hell. You don't serve God because you fear he will kill you. You serve God because you love him. Can you imagine if you only loved your husband or you were in that marriage because you fear the man will kill you if you live. How happy are you going to be? But if you are in the marriage because you love him, because you love him and his fault and everything that he does, when he even wrongs you, love covers a multitude of sins. So you are able to say that in spite of the fact that you have, you have done wrong to me, I love you and I forgive you and I stay in this union and that is the relationship we ought to have with God that you say to him whether you have blessed me or not whether that car has come or not whether that husband has come or not whether that breakthrough has come or not I will save you the basis of the law is love when you understand this you don't need anybody to mark your life Shame on you. Some of you are here. You fear what Pastor Bahima will say. More than you fear what God will say. How is that possible? I am a man like you. I can go to bed tonight and not wake up. I can fall and slip into sin like you. I am not invincible. I am not infallible. But you are afraid to offend me. But you are not afraid... You, you don't love God enough to say that even though no one is watching, I am not going to go into that room and undress for that man who is not my husband to have sex with me. You are not afraid. You don't love God enough. Because when Pastor Bahimaz hears it, I'll be ashamed. I won't see you. Me, I don't have prophetic eyes. Even if I had prophetic eyes, I won't be following you. I'll be chasing my own destiny. And killing the witches in my own home. I don't have your time. I don't. If you only 
give to God because somebody is begging you to support the work of God. This is love. If you are being legalistic about paying your tithe, the God who gave you breath, the one who kept you alive, the one who gave you health for you to even go and work, now you come and sit here and you ask me and argue with me. Now ten percent normally a day. The ten percent we can compare with those be chrome now the mama. It will serve them better. Why should I give ten percent and not five? Keep your money. Keep your money. The God who gave you that wealth, He's the one you will reckon to. Not me. So me, I don't argue with people over time. I don't argue whether you want to give or not give. If you understand, and, and, and I don't even, I dislike it when people come and say, oh, I am sowing a seed because I am expecting God to give me so and so and so. Who do you think you are? You give because you love him. He gave because he loved us. Even while we were yet sinners. Without any guarantee that we were going to accept his message, he left his throne and he came to die. So sit there and argue with me and, and tell me that I gave God last year and I didn't see a breakthrough, so I'm not going to give this year. Your basis is legalism. And, and your basis is fear. Some of you, you are, you are coerced into fearing that if I don't pay my tithe, then the devourer will come after me. So if I don't pay my tithe, I have to pay my tithe so that the devourer doesn't come. No devourer will come after you. Devourer and the crown political. Devourer or better money. So you chase Jeff Bezos. Bill Gates in your mind. Or will take us up your day. Devourer and the priorities. You give because you love God. You serve because you love God. You don't serve under compulsion. You, many people are, why are you so passionate about it? I am passionate about this ministry because I love Jesus. He gave me life. He restored my life. I don't know where I would be by now if Jesus hadn't died on the cross of Calvary for me. Who was I? Paul will say, who was I? I was a murderer. I was the chief of all sinners. Yet his mercy abounded to me. So that I will be an example to the world. That his mercy abounds to each and every one of us. Who was I? My life was not supposed to go this way. Maybe if you check my history, you will even be sitting here listening to me. Because my past will be messy. But I found Jesus. Or Jesus found me. And he gave me a new life. And he gave me purpose. And he restored my life. And he set me on a rock to stay. And he continues to give me breath. Even as I don't deserve it. He continues to watch over me. He continues to fill my heart with joy. He continues to bring people my way. Who are a blessing to my life and to my ministry. Why would I withhold anything from this God? I love him. I'm in love with him. I love everything about him. I love everything he wants me to do. I love him so much that I can decide that food can wait. Maybe the prayers I'm going to pray is not even about me. It's about his church. And it's about you. And it's about other people that are out there perishing. Why? Because he loves me. And Jesus came and he said, I have not come to abolish the law. The law spoke to you and said, do not steal. 
do not kill. But I have come to explain to you that when you love your neighbor, you don't steal from him. That when you love your spouse, you don't covet somebody else's. That when you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all that is inside of you, you don't have room for any other gods. He twisted it around. He changed it and said, I have come to fulfill the law. And the law is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And also, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do this, you do all. Because when you, you, you love, the law doesn't become a struggle. So when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, but if I commit fully, how am I going to enjoy, and if I have a party, what songs will I play? Because I can't play Shatawale, and then, and, and, you know, because I may be... At that point, I know that you still don't get it. Because when you are in love with Jesus, when you are in love with somebody, all you want to hear is the person. Maybe you haven't been in love before. But when you fall in love, or can't say, who cry, won't it? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some more canoes argument, oh, yeah, rubbish. But you are like, oh, you are so brilliant. <laughs> wow, honey, you are so nice. The person is not even handsome. But, but all you see is some handsome gentleman, and, and nobody in the room matters except this not so handsome man. You know, because you love, love, love blinds you. So when you love Jesus, you want to play his songs. You want to read his word. You want to stay in his presence. You, you want to abide. You come to church. You don't want to go home because you, you are in his presence. When you go home, it's not about church. When you go home, he is there. You want to go into your closet and to enjoy that presence because you love him. This morning, my prayer for you is that you will find love. You will discover this love that we are talking about. This love of Jesus that we speak about. Anybody who is in love with Jesus, when they are speaking, they are so passionate because they have found love. Greater love has no man than the one who died. And as long as he's in love with me, I love him right back. So Jesus came to fulfill in three ways. He taught us selflessness. He became the propitiation of our sins. He took it on himself so that I will be set free. And then he showed me that love is the basis of the law. Can you be on your feet? Let's pray. As we go into our closing worship, today I want you to do something. Woo Jesus into your life, what's it? Tell him you love him. I'm sure you've understood why some of us are crazy for him. We are bought down Mama Jesus. It doesn't make sense. It's the same thing when, when you feel that tingly, lungly, whatever feeling they call it, mushy, mushy feeling that. shock you. I mean, the kind that you have only enough for one meal, and you take the girl to a restaurant, and you buy food for her, and then you are sitting there drinking water. And they say, oh, I'm on a, I'm on a, I'm on a weight loss thing, so I don't eat after sex. Au revoir. Au revoir. Get yeah, you with chicken and chips. What's the you don't eat that and say. That's love. That's love. 
the people who are married will tell you the kind of things we can forgive. If the person wasn't somebody you loved, you will walk. You will walk. Just a own chain. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you. And you have to fall in love with him. Discover this love relationship this morning. As they lead us in worship, let it be your prayer that I want to fall in love with you, Jesus. I don't want it to be about pleasing my pastor or, or pleasing somebody. My pastor, then stay at home. But you come because you love him. You work for him because you love him. I want you to discover this love relationship this morning. It's not a myth. There are many people that have experienced this love. And they are walking in this love. Oh, it is the kind of love Habakkuk so far. But he said, even though the barns are empty. And the trees did not bear any fruit. Yet, I will praise them. That is what Job spoke about and said, Though he slay me, yet I trust him. Nothing can come between me and him. Paul put it so succinctly, neither life nor death, nor principalities nor powers, nor nor spirit, nor poverty, riches, nothing can come between me and the love of my life. I want you to discover that love this morning. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with Him. And the law becomes easy to live by. You don't struggle to commit adultery because you love Him. And your body is a temple. So you want to stay pure for Him. You are not staying pure because you want to remain a virgin so that your husband will be. No! You remain pure for Him because your body is a temple. And you want to preserve the temple. Because you love him. Come on, tell God something. If you have never experienced this love, I want you to be honest and say, Lord, let your love flood my heart. Let your love flood my life, oh God, Jesus. Let your love, let it flood my heart. Handebe kabo, handebe kabo, Oh, let your love abound. I want you to talk to Jesus and tell him how much you love him. So we lay Yeah. Uh-huh. 